0: Hey, we're going to start out the show a little different with, instead of music, I've got a very special guest in studio, and his name is Dr. Edward Inch, president here at Minnesota State University, Mankato, and this is the one we could have him come in the studio, so we're pleased to have him. Welcome and good morning, Dr. Inch.
1: Well, good morning. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, so uh, you've experienced a little bit of cold. We've had some extra cold days. Um you know, being out from the West Coast, how how are things going with the, the cold? Are you adapting, or are you finding that you've oh, had to really make accommodations a little different?
1: We're getting there, but to the people that told me that uh, this part of the state was the pineapple belt, I think they were pulling my leg. It got <laughs> mighty, mighty cold.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. I have a son who loves to uh, downhill ski, and he's on the, the uh, East High School t- ski team. And when you go out there, and, and it's 25 below with the wind chill. Man, it's it's cold. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. cold to watch that. So, hopefully, that was bracing.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow.
0: And you got the appropriate gloves and.
1: Well, I, I, I went to hockey day, which we hosted. Yeah. And uh, uh, the first day, the Wednesday, it was minus ten and windy. I thought I knew what layering was, but clearly I didn't have it right. And so Thursday morning was a trip to a a local store that that helped me layer better. That that bill will come due soon, but uh, I, I layered up well for the rest of Hockey Day. Well, you
0: know, that ended up to be one of the coldest weeks we had was that hockey week. And let's talk a little bit about that. That was quite a coup to have that here in Mankato, that Mankato was the site of Minnesota Hockey Day and that we were able to host that event.
1: Oh, it was remarkable, but it proved everything I thought I knew about this campus before I moved here, and that is, we we have this this wonderful connection with our community, with our region, what our campus can do. I think that's what makes us a destination. It's why the strategic planning process we're working on is uh, called Destination Twenty Thirty. Is uh, if you look at what happened, you know, we had twelve hundred youth skating on our ice yeah. in our stadium on our campus. Uh, Throughout Hockey Day, the eight days of Hockey Day, uh, we had more than twenty thousand people to our campus, and what an amazing coordinating effort with the uh, uh, the planning team, with our campus, all the community, all of our business vendors, and even on Hockey Day itself, which was the Saturday, the twenty second, we had more than ten thousand people, you know, in our in our on our campus, and it was such an uplifting experience for so many reasons because i think it highlighted all of the potentials that our campus and our region have together to create a real destination a place that people would choose to come because of the kinds of things events and the people we have here
0: and bringing that many people when it's 30 below wind chill to a place is amazing feat in itself so that really oh yeah. is a testament to the dedication that the and excitement that was community folks had.
1: Oh, I have pictures of people in the stands on the 22nd while it was snowing, and they're covered in snow and having a great time. I sent those pictures back to friends of mine on the West Coast, and the first line back was, you're all crazy, but then the second part back is, that looks like an awful lot of fun because if you think of what it did is it it energized a lot of people and you know I was asked are you going to do hockey day next year well no it rotates but we should be thinking about how it is we we take all of this energy and focus it to things that really are special about our community and our campus
0: yeah and what a cool thing to see Blakesley Stadium the football stadium made into a hockey rink I I couldn't picture how that was going to work but hey I guess you can it worked there was a stadium out in California that turned into a NASCAR track last weekend. I can't remember which one it was, but oh, I don't know. If, if they can do that, we can do that too. I was
1: trying to figure out how our football field, which has an 18-inch crown, that's not very, you know, so ice-friendly. It's not ice-friendly. Right. But they they engineered around it. It was quite quite a feat.
0: Yeah. So so that was really great and it's neat to have that you were able to be a part of that and uh, enjoy the cold
1: here well and then the very next weekend I got to go ice fishing with a group of our students yeah and
0: talk I, about that I've never been ice fishing and I'm not a big fisher person myself I've done it because you know we go up north and y- the in-laws make me do you know get in the boat and they put on the bait and they take off the fish and I, <clears> I fish so tell me about your experience and what it was like for you as a well you grew up uh, doing yeah. fish stuff
1: yeah, this is nothing what I expected. Oh. <laughs> I grew up fishing off of, you know, with a rowboat on a, on a harbor in Puget Sound. I, uh, when my family would camp in the summer, we'd go to the ocean. We'd catch smelt in nets or go trout fishing in streams. And then I worked in a com- commercial fishery for almost 10 years where it was uh, set net and gill netters bringing fish in for processing. This is nothing like that. <laughs> first, it's a lot nicer than I thought it would be, though. You were
0: in a, a house maybe? Well,
1: they, we had warming tents. This was oh. uh, this was our students and our outdoor rec folks. Okay. And uh, But they had a fire pit on the ice. I thought that was a bold choice, but the fire pit was designed so it wouldn't melt the ice. A uh, little, uh, little stove that students were having marshmallows and hot chocolate, and it was a very lovely day, and um, it was fun. I'm probably still not going to be a big-time fisher any- anymore, because my decade of commercial fish sort of you know, beat that out of me. But uh, it was fun being with our students catching fish, some for the very, very first Did time. Did you catch any? No, I, I let the students fish. Oh. I yes. watched the students fish. That was fun. And they pull up their fi- It was good.
0: Which lake were you on?
1: Uh, duck Lake. Is, it, is yeah. it duck? Yeah. Yeah,
0: there's a duck lake. That's and the how land. thick was the ice, by the way?
1: They told me it was 20 inches, so as I drove my car over the yeah, middle of a right. lake, which says I'm in 80 feet of water, making me a little nervous, uh, they said, don't worry, it's 20 inches. You're good.
0: Yeah, that's. I always have a thing with driving on ice. It just
1: it seems wrong.
0: <laughs> right, it right, it really does. So well good. I'm glad you're you're really
1: fun.
0: you're really immersing yourself in Minnesota and and what we have here to offer and I wanted to chat with you a little about, about you mentioned the strategic planning yeah. process. I'm not a part of that. So a lot of folks might say what what is that? What does that involve and what kind of are
1: your aims? No, that's an that's an important question. So we are drawing out this planning process over a couple of years because I want to make sure that we have had An ample opportunity to have conversations with the key stakeholders for the campus. So when I began my uh, time here, and I started with the convocation speech last August, uh, we debuted a a tool that allowed community participation and ideation to bring ideas together. And out of that process and talking with different community groups and campus groups, uh, people generated about 250 or so ideas of things that would support the campus development. And our focus had been... And it remains you know our, our, what are our strategies going to be around enrollment? Uh, what are the best ways to focus our resources resources related to uh, finances but also our facilities and our people? Uh, what are the experiences we hope for our students that make this place special And for me the experience is around the destination. What is it what does it mean to be here in this place in this community that would really heighten uh, a student's academic program the f- Uh, fourth area has been around our health and wellness. And that, you know, obviously with the pandemic, that's highlighted. But even post-pandemic is how do we address the kinds of stresses that our students, staff, or faculty have? How do we make sure that our community has the services it needs? And then the the fifth pillar has been around the the notion of uh, how do we create a welcoming campus where students feel a sense of belonging, as do our staff and our faculty. It needs to be an equitable and inclusive place. And so what are the pieces we need to do for that to accomplish, so this first year has been asking those kinds of questions and eliciting from our communities and our stakeholders what are the core things we need to focus on. And you know, one one of the major lessons that I've learned because I'm learning this campus, having come here from the West Coast, not being a part of this community, one of the big lessons, and I was asked this by uh, someone in a re- uh, recent uh, legislative forum, is that you know you're all so good at online given the pandemic why do you need to think about your buildings anymore why wouldn't you just be online and i think uh it's the opposite of that is what the pandemic has shown us is while many things can be online much has to be in person because of the power of that experience oh yeah and focusing on the experience where our students but also members of our community collaborate work together are able to generate big ideas that has to be done here
0: and I have heard from so many students who really had a tough time during the online-only learning. It's it's mm-hmm. just tough for some students. And I, I just noticed there's a 2021 National Survey of Student Engagement that was released just this past Tuesday. It included more than 230,000 first-year and senior students at 337 colleges. And it said the majority of the first-year students, 65% took mostly remote classes, 16% took mostly hybrid courses, and only 7% took their classes in person. And one of the things they they talked about was the dramatic uptick in mental health issues. That is a big concern. And they said, you know, this is this is something we had to do, we had to switch because of the pandemic, but we're finding that some of the students are suffering and I think that's something here at MSU that we've been really focused on, just making sure the students are doing okay.
1: That was a significant drive uh, last term and certainly in this term to do two things, is make sure that uh, support and health services, mental and physical, are easily available for students online and in person, but the other thing was it was and that the faculty have worked so hard to accomplish is to stay safe, but make sure that those pieces of courses, those activities, and and those uh, discussion groups that should happen in person, happen in person to protect that space. And so while we've moved many of our meetings online, because we can do a lot of meetings online, that the student experience, it's so important that they are working with their faculty members. And I'm very appreciative of our community, our faculty and our staff who are here, making sure that those pieces happen even when we're doing other things online. Because we know that if we go all back online, there is a learning loss consequence, Mm -hmm. and there's also a consequence of how many students continue. Our retention rates last year, so retention is year over year, how many students come back to finish their degree, a lot of students dropped off. And now we're seeing that begin to come back. So from fall term to this term, our retention rates are back where they were pre-pandemic, that they re-enrolled. And we're hoping that that continues to be the trend as we work to to make sure that our students can complete their degree.
0: Well, and that's the other thing about re- retention. I know there was also a study that talked about retention. Mm-hmm. This is a new report from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center found that the six-year college completion rate hit 62.2% but um, they're saying it's really too low for underserved students. So I know that we're, that's an area where we're also working to improve.
1: It is, and uh, one of the things with the strategic plan piece too that's important is uh, we're working to link our efforts with our community. And so part of that, and I spoke with the head of the Diversity Council yesterday, part of that is making sure that it's not just our campus that is inclusive and welcoming, it's our region. our students. Need to feel as do our faculty and staff that we're connected that we're supported, and that this region is one that is supportive of, of all of our different communities that are going to come here because the demographic data we have would suggest that over the course of the next ten years traditional age eighteen year old students will be in, will begin to decrease more significantly than they have now but we'll have an increase of uh, underserved students'll we'll have an increase of uh, immigrant students and uh, I think there's an opportunity for us there. So on campus, the important piece is that we make sure that, and what I've asked all of our folks to do, is interrogate all of the rules, processes, and procedures you have. What are the ones that are are behaving poorly, do not accomplish the goals that we have as a campus, and what are the pieces we need to put into place that are more welcoming than what we have now? And so those processes are in place. Now we're beginning to work on all the different systems of the campus to implement them. so there'll be some changes that come up over the next few months that I think will be better about helping support our students.
0: Can you share any of those what might be happening that uh, or is it too early?
1: Sure, well, yeah, I'll share. Uh, <laughs> some of the, some of them are little things that are that have big impact, and one is I you mentioned earlier that we have students that have more mental stress right. type thing, but we have a lot of different kinds of cases where students uh, uh, have they, – they struggle. And so we're working on a project called the Gold Folder that oh. will populate uh, desktops and laptops, if it's a university-issued machine, to make sure that if anybody sees a student that they think might be in trouble uh, – that uh, clicking on that gives you access to resources, gives you places to refer, can give you a live, uh, someone that's a a live helper for the student so that a student isn't just left there. And there are different scenarios Mm -hmm. that uh, we've modeled where students uh, might have a, a problem, like a student that comes to us who's living in a car, in their car. Well, what are the specific processes to help support that student? Or a student that's, that's struggling the night before a major exam and is having real stress issues. What are the resources available, even, even at night, that somebody that sees a student would have access to? Just to make sure that we can mobilize all of our people on campus, our staff, our faculty, everybody, that they have the resources to be able to help a student when and where needed. So just for example, that would be. That so would be golden one, folder,
0: that is something new I yeah. haven't heard. I think that sounds like a really interesting thing to to try. Has that been done elsewhere? I guess I haven't really.
1: There heard are models of it. it, and we have something similar now, but it's a static uh, PDF. Oh. That if you know where it is, you know where it okay, is. Okay, gotcha. But I think sometimes people don't know where where some of these pieces of paper or websites are. So I want to make sure that it's front and center that everybody has access to uh, how do you help a student in that moment. And so there, there are some models around the country, and, and we drew on those. And so our IT has been on it. Our Student Affairs mm-hmm. has been on you it. Know, uh, uh, student Affairs has done a very good job pulling together pieces. So I'm, I'm optimistic we'll be able to beta test this within the next month. Mm-hmm. Ideally, we'll roll it out over the summer. Well,
0: we'll have to k- revisit that and see how things are yeah. going when that gets to that point. How is enrollment going? I mean, that's the thing I noticed that now there's February is the month where we have free admission. So when you apply yeah. in the past, you know, a lot of places you have to pay a, a part to apply. And, and I know in October they had a free admission, and now they've got a, a February one. So I'm thinking that obviously, you know, maybe wanting more people to apply. Are we doing okay? Are we doing uh, slowing down or what?
1: We're doing well. Oh, okay. uh, we're going to be within a couple of percentage points of where we were pre-pandemic. Okay. But it, the, the more interesting data for me is is more than the number. It has to do with the programs, and it has to do with the degrees. So we are seeing a decrease in traditional 18-year-old students. And we expect that, because if you look at our high schools, if you look at what the demographic data from the last census tell us is that that will be a decreasing population. We see increased interest, though, with our international students. And we see a much greater demand for our graduate programs. And so part of the planning process, the destination program, is around, well, Uh, where do we need to be building capacity that's going to meet the needs of the students as the demographics shift so what are the programs we need to put in place and are there programs that uh, have real growth potential both undergraduate and graduate that we ought to be focused on more and how do we meet the needs of what will be increasingly non-traditional learners whether they be people returning for education whether they be uh, students that have stopped out one of the things i think is a a, a real opportunity for us is if you think about it, and the, the way the world has has changed, is there was a time when when a student like myself could go to school for, you know, four years, get yep. a degree, and I'm set for my career. Right. That is no longer the case. Uh, the the world is changing very quickly now. The fourth industrial re- revolution, you know, artificial intelligence, all, all the transition that's happening in the workplace, means that our students to stay up to speed, to stay at the cutting edge probably need help and support throughout their career arc and into retirement. So I'm, I'm looking at what are the uh, options and opportunities we have to support our learners throughout their their career and, and adult life.
0: What are some of those growing areas? You mentioned that, and I mean, it immediately comes to mind, I feel like there's gonna be more needs in healthcare, maybe more needs in technology, and those just pop in my head. Are those a couple of the areas? Are there others that I'm not um, covering, or?
1: There are many areas, you know, that's an interesting question because there are many areas uh, that are going to be in demand, but they're going to have to look at how they adapt to meet new needs. So, for example, one of the big areas, and you can see this in where our economy is beginning to shift, are people that are creative, can tell a story, can develop a narrative, can produce short videos that are impactful, uh, people that are entrepreneurial innovative. In other words, what are the disciplines that can do things that machine learning will never be able to do? And those are the things related to value and culture, creativity, team building, and uh, all of our disciplines do that one way or another. And as as uh, uh, you know, economies internationalize, and they're already very international, as all of our supply chain issues would suggest. Uh, what what then is the role of of uh, building in cultural competence to what we do, language skill with what we do? So I think all disciplines exist because they serve core needs. The issue is whether or not they are, are able or going to be able to adapt to meet the core needs of a future set of students. For example, while Uh, Most of our students will have traditional jobs. We've also seen the growth of the gig economy, or what many of our students do now is they have a side hustle to Mm -hmm. make income. We ought to be part of helping them be really good at that. And so all of our disciplines have ways to align around that.
0: So TikTok class is coming.
1: I'm I'm thinking I need to take it because I'm (laughs) not very good at it. But I but if you think about it, uh, all those different social platforms that have spawned careers and new ideas, new businesses that did not exist even pre-pandemic. Right. I I think. But it all gets back to the core. You know, your core education. Can you can you develop and present a message? Can you add graphics or art to the message? Can you engineer it in a way that whatever your thing is you are doing will work? Do you have a sense about how do you take something to market? I mean, all those different pieces all play an important role, and so I think it's helping our students figure out how these different pieces connect and uh, how you work across disciplines to do something really special. And our history is that, by the way, is we have remarkable entrepreneurs and innovators uh, that have come out of our campus that have done amazingly great things. And some of them were in business, and some were in engineering, some of them were in the arts. I think this is where we have an opportunity as we approach you know, 2030.
0: I know just last week on my Every Day is Earth Day segment, we were talking to folks of, that own electric vehicles. One of our alums invented the electric, the bolt.
1: Which I own. You do. I have a Volt, <laughs> well and I didn't. Have to, you know, it's kismet because I bought the Volt in 2018 because it let me use the high occupancy lane uh-huh. in California, which saved 20 minutes or so off sure. my commute. That was valuable. Um, I didn't realize until after I got this job. It's one of our alum right. designed it. I love my Volt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't See? make it anymore, but I really like my Volt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they don't make it anymore no. oh well, anyway, well, at least it
1: they didn't ask me. I think they should I like the Volvo a lot, so well, i drive it go. I drive it proudly.
0: I want to switch over to talk about the the legislature, of course, yeah. that is what is happening now. And you know, there I was looking at the Minnesota state system, which we are a part of. Uh, they um are asking for nine or two hundred and ninety two point nine million dollars in funding in the twenty twenty two legislative session for a capital program to improve the campus facilities, to enhance the ability to serve the more than 340,000 students within this area, and uh, the investments that make up 245.3 million in state financing and 47.6 million in uh, the college and university support. So a big part of that is what they call the Heaper, and those are the asset preservation, Mm -hmm. taking care of our buildings, our roofs, and all those sort sort of things, which is always important. And in addition to the 142 million requests for, they have a for 20 major campus-specific capital projects, and Minnesota State has one that is their number ten priority. Talk yep. a little bit about that.
1: Oh, uh, that's Armstrong Hall. Uh, first off, the uh, the governor has come out in support of the majority of the request for uh, the uh, funds to support uh, the campuses in our system, and that's awfully important. It's just the asset preservation is significant because otherwise you begin to get into significant deferred maintenance and infrastructure problems that cost so much more later to yeah. fix. So that is significant to be able to maintain what we have and that that is supported across our system is awfully important. Uh, Armstrong Hall for us is important because it's the primary place where we teach the majority of our of our courses. And, and uh, as a student told me once, uh, which I hadn't really thought about, is it's uh, Armstrong's the one building that every student will experience. So it's a pretty important space. The problem with what we have, aside from its deferred maintenance and, and it's reaching the end of life for many of its infrastructure systems, the problem we have is it doesn't really reflect uh, you know uh, current or modern education.
0: yeah, technology has expanded, and I mean, you look at those rooms and it's just not designed for that.
1: no. and and the other piece on top of that is what we were talking about earlier is what are those experiences you want your students to have, and can our f- physical space flex to meet those needs? So, team-based activities, uh, cross-disciplinary activities? Can you reshape a room to go from small to big or medium? Can the seating be flexible that allows lots of different configurations depending on what the needs of the lesson are? In other words, instead of our faculty having to make their instruction fit a defined space, can we ask our space to meet the needs of our faculty? And so a new building, even though the the new building is is a third smaller at 100,000 assignable feet, as opposed to 144,000, that the ability to flex the space better and to have more team kinds of space, better faculty space, we think will get better occupancy and usage over the course of any given day. Because of the ability of the space to meet the needs of students, they don't have to go look in other places to find you know, a, a team zone, or to be able to work with a faculty member. So I'm very optimistic about, about the building. It is supported. It's on the, the governor's list of, of uh, projects he supports. I've spoken with our legislators. They are supportive. And it was you know around this, people well a person said, "Well do you, are you sure you need a physical space?" Yeah because it gets to be the core of our instructions, the dynamism that happens with students working with students and students working with our faculty to accomplish things. And that guided kind of instruction, that intensity, that's, that's what this space will be designed around.
0: I'm, I'm assuming they're thinking, well, everything's going online, so why do you need a building? Correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and so uh, that's why we need a building. It's part of being a destination. You come here for that kind of experience and for the kind of experience that we're able to provide in our educational areas.
0: I did not realize it was actually going to be a smaller building. Yeah. That, that When you just said that, I, I looked at the, the figures here, and I th- was like, wow, it is going to be smaller. So it's just going to be more smartly designed.
1: It'll be more smartly designed, but also there's some other um, offsets that bring back some square footage. That is uh, part of the, the plan is to complete the construction on the basement level of the Clinical Sciences Building. Okay. which is unfinished now. And that's our newest building. Right. And then part of it is to reconfigure part of the library where we have student support services, making them more accessible. There won't be any new square footage out of that, but there will be better usage patterns out of that okay. and better use of space than we have now. And, and that's, you know, that's one of the things. I had uh, the cabinet for our, our uh, mid-year retreat read a book called Subtract. And the point of subtract is sometimes we think, well, genetically, socially, culturally, we're programmed to always fix things by adding. Do something else part of the book says that's often a mistake is that sometimes we're much better off if we get rid of something and so we might have a lot of space in armstrong but if we're not able to use it we're still heating and cooling it we're cleaning it and taking care of it if we get better usage out of a building we're we're better off even with a subtraction
0: so the ask is for 7.083 million dollars, and what does that cover? I mean, the, the planning, and does it actually include any of the actual work, and what's gonna be, or is this, they gonna be more asked down the line, or where is, what phase is this?
1: Uh, that's a good question, there are three phases. The first phase is going to be the uh, planning work and the design work for the replacement building. It will also include the uh, uh, completion of clinical sciences, and the changes in in the library. Second phase is going to be around the construction and being able to uh, build a building and get it up and operational. And then the third phase will be uh, the uh, removal of the existing building and opening up the plaza.
0: Will it be another Gage Towers where we'll implode it?
1: You know, someone asked me that. I I don't know. I have to look into it. I don't know how you... That building's built pretty solid. I don't know what an implosion looks like, but uh, for that. If
0: if you go out in our hall here, there's a picture of the implosion of Gage Towers. Let me tell you, that was a community-wide. Everybody came with their cameras and, and took pictures of that. But that that was, was a
1: much taller building, wasn't it?
0: It, it yeah. was, 12 floors. <laughs> yeah,
1: so th- is it, uh, Armstrong's three, I think. So does three floors well, really get the same impact? Maybe. maybe. I could be, be talked into it.
0: I, it might not be. And in, plus, it's kind of close to some other buildings that I don't know if they That wanna, would be my
1: concern. Yeah,
0: but. your office, you'll be in your office <laughs> and say, yeah. oh, California earthquake. Anyway. Exactly. All right. So, well, that, that's interesting that, you know, the phases are, it's going, it sounds like it's going to happen the legislature and then what is the initial time frame in terms of when will we actually see a building Armstrong hall
1: we should see it within three years really yeah being started yeah okay you know with three years from the uh uh yeah receiving funding to start
0: and so that you will know that at the end of this legislative session mm-hmm. uh sounds like it's pretty much going to happen given that we're out of the 2021 20, projects we're number 10 and
1: and the governor's supporting all of those projects okay And I have a very strong sense from our elected officials that uh, there's a lot of positive energy behind that. And, you know, not the least of which is I think things like Hockey Day really showcase that this is a campus that is dynamic and we have places to go. And this is a key part of that strategy.
0: We are out of time, but is there anything you'd like to add before I let you go? We've been talking with the president of Minnesota State University, Dr. Edward Inch, and I'll let you have the final say.
1: I appreciate the momentum of this place not just our campus, it's our community, and it was really showcased in Hockey Day. And I'm so thankful to all of our folks that work so hard and put so much energy in to a campus that's really moving toward a destination.
0: Well, we appreciate you for coming in and taking your time to talk with us. Thank you so you so much.